Well, this morning we're going to take a little detour from um, the series that we've been doing on spiritual gifts, and it is Palm Sunday today, where we're celebrating Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, a week out from him being going to the cross, sacrificing his life so that we could all have relationship with him and find redemption in him. Um, but I just want to pray before we jump into the word, and uh, I'm excited for this message. Lord, we thank, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made. We thank you that you laid down our life that we might find life, that we can have relationship with you again. So God, we pray that as we open your word, as we start to dig in this morning, Lord, we just pray that your word would come alive in each one of our spirits, that your word would jump off the pages at us, and that we would just be able to grasp a new revelation of you, even in the message today. So Lord, I just thank you. We bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the triumphant entry is in all four gospel all four Gospels. It's recorded all four, so it's very important. And this is like the big pivotal point in Jesus' ministry, where he's been ministering for three years, and everything starts to come to a head a week out. And uh, we're going to be focusing primarily, or using primarily, Matthew's account uh, this morning of the triumphant entry, and it's found in Matthew 21. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 17 this morning. And Kimberly already read part of this during worship, which is awesome. But uh, here we go. Matthew 21. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there and, a colt, and its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Pray blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables, knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, "The scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves." The blind and the lame came into the temple and he healed them. The leading priests and the teachers of religious law saw these wonderful miracles and heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied. Haven't you ever read the scripture? For they say you have taught children and infants to give you praise. Then he returned to Bethany where he stayed overnight. Now, as we read this 
it's important to grasp the context in which it was written. Now, we can go through Scripture, we can read the Bible and just take it for what it says, but when we really dig in, when we really grab the whole big picture of what's going on in the passages, it totally unpacks so much more that's going on um, in these events. So we're going to do just that this morning. We're going to look at some of the context as to what is happening here. And first of all, this was a pivotal moment. Pivot. Jesus' ministry was pivoting. Yeah, I saw those laughs. Pivot! But anyway, leading up to the triumphant entry, Jesus was traveling along the roadside and healed two blind men. This is just before in chapter 10 of Matthew. Matthew 10, 29 to 34 says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now, this may seem on the surface as just another moment where Jesus was healing someone. And this is right before the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. But this was a huge moment, a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry, because these blind men were referring to Jesus as the son of David. The son of David was the messianic name for the ultimate king. The ultimate king. Not just a king, not just any king. This is king of kings and lord of lords king. And this is the first time where Jesus didn't say, hey, shh, keep it down. It's not out yet. Secret's not out yet. He responded going, what can I do for you? Yeah, that's me. I'm the guy. It's no wonder the crowds were going, hey, stop it, guys, you're crazy. You can't even see who this is. We mean he's the ultimate king, right? Jesus accepted the title in that moment of king of kings and lord of lords, the son of David. Now, the disciples at this point must have been crazy excited because they've been waiting for this to happen. They've been waiting for Jesus to finally come out and say who he really is because they already knew. But also, they were probably petrified of what this actually meant for Jesus. They had known who Jesus was already, but were waiting for him to go public with the revelation. So on one hand, they're going, yes, the secret's out. But on the other hand, they're, on the other hand, him responding and essentially affirming who these two blind men said he was, was about to tip the scale. It was going to shift everything that was going on in Jesus' ministry and with the disciples in tow of where the trajectory of everything was going. And I love how it was two blind men who really saw who Jesus was. (laughs) How many times do we think we can see everything with our physical eyes, but really there's so much more going on? By accepting their claim of who he was, he was tipped. It set in motion a set of upcoming events that could go in one of two ways. Either Jesus was going to take claim to the kingship. He's going to say, I am king now. I'm taking claim to the kingship. Or he would be crushed by authorities who would have no choice but to crush him. 
because that his claim of kingship was going to put an instant threat to the power of the day. It was either he was going to take claim to the kingship and rule, or he was going to be crushed by the authorities. It was a pivotal moment. But the second thing, and I love this, is that Jesus was in control. Jesus knew what was going on. He knew exactly what he was getting into when he said, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm the guy. <laughs> and not only did he know that the claim that he was making in that moment of him being king, not only did he know that what it would mean for the immediate future, he also was very strategic of when and where this was taking place. You see, they showed up at Bethpage, and he, and he sent a couple of disciples to fetch the donkey and the colt, right? But Jesus would have known this area really well. You see, Bethpage was one town over from Bethany, the same Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. So he would have frequented that area all the time, and he probably would have had a pretty good idea of where they might be able to find a donkey and a colt. So he is going, hey, guys, just go into the town, go get a donkey, go get a colt. And he did not talk to the owners beforehand. Otherwise, he would have just said, hey, I lined it all up. Just go get them. They already know I'm coming. No. He said, if anyone asks, tell them that I have, that the Lord needs them, right? He gave them the, the pretense or the warning saying, they don't know that you're coming, but just tell them that I need them and it's all going to be okay. They're going to be fine with it. But Jesus wasn't just interested in getting a donkey when he went to this area, when he accepted this claim. He wasn't just interested in getting a donkey. He was looking for a crowd. The people in Bethpage and Bethany would have been very well aware of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus. They would have been very aware of the power that Jesus operated in and the things that he had done. And there was already the crowd that had been following him and heard the blind men claim that Jesus was the son of David, the ultimate king. So when the disciples got the donkey, they were instructed to tell the owners, and when they, when they asked to tell them what Jesus would be riding on it, Jesus didn't ask the owners ahead of time, but I imagine the owners of the donkey would have been familiar with the prophecies about the Messiah. They would have been familiar with them, knowing that the Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? They would have known about the resurrection of Lazarus, so they're going to start piecing things together for themselves. And they probably would have heard through the grapevine, because it's small town, that Jesus had just accepted the claim of King of Kings, Son of David. So when the disciples told him, hey, the Lord needs them, they're probably going, yeah, go, take it. We know what's about to happen. And then what did they probably do? They probably went and told everybody that Jesus just took the donkey. He's got the colt, and we're going to town, <laughs> right? It's happening. It's go time. The crowd in this passage was not from Jerusalem. It said that the crowd was all around Jesus as he entered the city. He brought the party with him when he entered Jerusalem that day, and it caused the people of Jerusalem to go, what on earth is happening? What is going on? Who could this be? Third of all, he chose a donkey. I love that he chose a donkey to ride in on, and not just because it fulfills a prophecy, but what embodies. And it was about to show the people what kind of a king he really would be, which I'm going to get to momentarily. 
But now that we have a little bit of context as to what's going on here, what's happening behind the scenes in the story, I want to draw out two things that Jesus was stating as he came into town. Two things. Number one, I am your long-awaited Messiah, the King of Kings. His entry into Jerusalem was a direct confrontation on the holy city of Jerusalem and its leaders. He was riding in and he was essentially saying, crown me or kill me. That's what he was doing. He came into town, crown me or kill me, but there's nothing in the middle. I'm not being around the bushes. I'm not faking anything. I'm not playing games with you guys. It's either crown me as king or you're going to have to kill me. It's one or the other. Jesus was not interested in having half-hearted followers. He wasn't interested in just messing around, being around the bush. He wasn't interested in being a passive-aggressive leader or anything like that. He was saying a strong message to the crowds of people that day, crown me or kill me. The people in Jerusalem had one of two options at this point. They would either hate him entirely and declare him a crazy madman, be going, this guy's right off the rails. He's totally crazy. He's lost his marbles. He thinks he's this God. Or they would have to accept everything that he was saying about him and be forced to throw out everything they were holding on to and serve him completely. That's a big choice that the people had to make. It was either, you were either with me or against me. It's one or the other, crown me or kill me. That was Jesus' message. I love how John puts in Revelation 3, 15 to 16 when he's addressing the church in Laodicea. Revelation 3, 15 to 16 says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. <clears throat> now, when I read that, the first thing I think of is coffee. I like hot coffee, I love cold coffee, but warm coffee's gross, right? That's what this is saying. It's either we're red hot for Jesus, or we're going to make a clear choice that we're not, but it's going to be one or the other. There's no in-between there. Jesus isn't interested in an in-between. It's like that old story of the man on the fence, right? Man's walking along the fence, and... You know, the devil's on this side of the fence, and God's on this side of the fence, and God's calling, hey, why don't you, why don't you come over to this side? The grass is, like, this is, this is the right way to be on, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to hang on the fence for now. And the devil's going, hey, my side looks pretty good. Like, why don't you come down over here and, and hang out? Well, no, I'm just going to hang on this fence. I'm going to stay on the fence for now, and, you know, I'll just see how it goes and all of that stuff. And the man carries on like that, and the devil walks away and snickers to himself, <laughs> I own the fence too, right? That's the reality of being lukewarm, is that if we're not red hot for Jesus, if we're not going, if we're not going to choose to crown him as king, then we're living a lukewarm life. It's a little bit heavy, but that's Bible. We are, we are either in or out, there is no in between. There is no option C. Love me or hate me. Do not just try to like me. It's either we accept the full canon of scripture or we cannot lay any claim to it. Right? It's either we believe the whole story 
or we can't believe any of it. It's one or the other. In Acts, there's a great example of some guys knowing, known as the sons of Siva in Acts 19, 11 to 20. This story, it actually makes me laugh because of how ridiculous it is. But they had seen and heard of the extraordinary miracles that Paul was doing in the name of Jesus. You know, when, stuff, when big things start happening, word spreads and people recognize that there is something going on. And these guys, these sons of Siva, they figured, hey, if all it takes is to use the name of Jesus and we can perform miracles and all this stuff, yeah, we're willing to give that a shot. Let's give it a go. So they went to a guy who had evil spirits in him and said, hey, get out by the name of Jesus who Paul is talking about. <laughs> I can imagine how that went. Not good. They were trying to operate in a lukewarm stance. They hadn't surrendered to the kingship of Jesus, but they tried to claim the name of Jesus over a situation. And the evil spirit responded to them and was basically like, hey, I know who Jesus is. I'm very aware of that. I even know who Paul is. What I don't know is who you guys are. And then it says in there that the evil spirit beat the snot out of them, basically, till they like they ran away naked, like just took them to town, seven of them, and they ran for their lives. You see, none of this works if Jesus is not king. None of this works if Jesus is not king. We're doing the series on the gifts of the spirit. None of it works if Jesus is not king. Are we bread hot for Jesus? Or are we not? It's one or the other. His power is not a parlor trick that we can just conjure up. It is not some kind of voodoo. It's not magical. It's none of that. This is God, the power of God active in our lives when we choose to make him king. He is bold in his stance. But not only was Jesus bold, Okay, when he entered Jerusalem that day, he came boldly in and wasn't holding anything back anymore. He's saying, this is me. This is what it's about. This is who I am. But Jesus, when he came, number two, the king comes gently. Jesus' entrance on a donkey was a fulfillment of prophecies, yes, but it was also making a statement of what kind of king he was going to be. In two of those prophecies, Genesis 4, 9, 11, it says, He ties his foal to the grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. A foal is a young horse or a related animal. But this was a prophecy about Jesus coming. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He's bold. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Coming in on a donkey, he was riding in defenseless, vulnerable, and without a show of force in the natural sense. He came humbly. Now, when kings normally come into a city, they come with a whole army, they come on a horse. You know, if it's the Egyptians, they come with chariots, right? They come and display their power in a very aggressive way. 
when Jesus showed up in Jerusalem that day, he came in riding on a little colt of a donkey, right? Not exactly offensive in that sense. I just read, read this just this past week, um, even as I was getting ready to do this message, and it just like it popped out at me. Um, a great biblical definition of what humility is from a guy named Dave Adamson, who goes by the name Aussie Dave on Instagram. And if you ever want a really good, biblically founded person to follow on Instagram, Aussie Dave is a great person to follow because he takes the original language and unpacks it for us so that we can see a clearer picture of um, the Bible and what it's actually saying. So Aussie Dave, I'm not getting paid for that. It's a little shout out. But he put it this way, biblical humility is about being aware of and comfortable with your place in the world. That's what true biblical humility is. You know, a lot of the time, you know, we view humility as not being proud, not being arrogant, self-entitled, or any of those things that put us above what God has put us in this world to be. But humility is also not the opposite of that, where we operate out of this um, fake sense of low self-esteem, or where we're just pushing ourselves down below what Jesus has put us on this earth to be as well. Humility is operating and functioning exactly in the middle of that where Jesus has called us to be. You know, as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, he was taking up his God-given place in the world and didn't need a show of force to show it. Jesus didn't save the world by nuking the capital, okay? He didn't show up with a special ops team. No, he didn't bring a whole legion of warriors to go in and take the capital, he came gently with a bunch of people cheering him on <laughs> with no defense, riding on a donkey, right? What a picture. Yeah, he did go into the temple and start rearranging the furniture like only the owner could, <laughs> right? You know, if you went into someone else's house and started flipping their couches and their tables around, they'd probably get pretty mad at you. But he went into the temple and did just that but he was exposing sin in the temple when he did that. He was exposing how dysfunctional things had gotten in the city of Jerusalem. And uh, I can only imagine when he was quoting the scripture and saying, my temple should be a house of prayer. He was walking in there going, my house, right? He was saying, my house shall be a house of prayer. And just a little side note, each one of us, when we accept Jesus into our heart, into our lives become the temple now, right? It's not about the building. It's about us as vessels. It's us being people that are individual temples to Jesus. My house shall be a house of prayer. Do not let prayer go. That's the side one. <laughs> side note. But again, Jesus making a clear point of who he was and what he was about. And he was not okay with things getting off the rails, being half there, hot or cold, in or out. Here's another way to view this as well. When, when we think of sin or when I usually think of sin and try and explain what sin is, normally I would explain it as when we mess up or fall short of the glorious standard God has for us, that's what sin is, right? It's, it's when we fall short, when we fail, when we screw up. That's what sin is. But another way of looking at sin is when we as the king's servants right? Jesus is king. We're all servants. 
I'm a servant, you're a servant, we're all servants together. But it's when we as servants put ourselves in the place of the king. It's saying, yeah, I know you said this, but I'm going to call the shots on this one. I'm going to do it anyway. That's what was happening in the temple. And that's why Jesus went in and started rearranging the furniture and kicking the things out that shouldn't have been there in the first place. So in order for Jesus to really save us, he did exactly the opposite of that. He as the king put himself in the place of the servant. He humbled himself even to death. When Jesus went to the cross, he bore everything that we deserve to carry onto himself. He took it all. We are saved through weakness, not strength. Jesus gave up his divinity while he walked the earth, but he walked with the Father and the Holy Spirit through it all, living a blameless life, which is how he was able to defeat sin and death on Easter. So often we approach life with the opposite mentality, which is the viewpoint of the world's religions and philosophies. We'll say things like, well, I just need to get myself cleaned up and fixed up, and then I'm going to be good to go again. It's just going to take a lot of strength and determination, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, right? Well, that's not what Jesus modeled. Or there's the philosophy of self-care, which is it's a big thing in our world today of self-care. And it says, I just need to focus on me right now so I can get to a good spot. You know, while it's important to be aware of how we're doing as an individual, it was never by strength that we were saved. It was never by us being alone that we get to that good spot. It's about being in community with one another. It's being the body of Christ together so that we can help care for one another as we walk through life. Paul was very adamant about the gathering of believers, about helping one another. He knew that we could not do this thing alone and that we needed one another to support and care for us. It's so important. But it is through Jesus' sacrifice that we are made whole. It's all about him. And God called us to walk together in community as a church. We as a body in this place, we are a church. We're one unit of the church, yes, but we are a church. And God has empowered us to be exactly who he wants us to be in this world. If we want to live the best version of ourselves, to live humbly, filling our God-given space in this world, then we must come to the re revelation that we can't be saved until we see that we must die. You know, it's laying down the things that we've held on to. It's laying down, you know, some of our wants and desires and the, even the mentality that I can do this on my own. We all wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. It's laying that stuff down and recognizing he is king and I'm going to serve him. In other words, we need to lay down everything we thought we knew about living a full life and pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Serve him with our everything. Jesus died in your place. He died in my place. It's time to get out of the lukewarm and become red hot for Jesus. If we live life as, as if we are saved through strength, what happens if someone wrongs us? What happens if someone does something that hurts us? You either feel bold because you are living up to the standards you have set, or you feel like a total failure because you feel like you weren't meeting the standards that you set. 
right? It's one or the other. It's either you, you feel bold or you feel like a failure. You become really weak. You either be bold or you'll be gentle, but not both. If something bad happens to you, you either be mad at God because you're doing all of the right things or you'll be mad at yourself as if you deserved what happened because, again, you weren't meeting your own standard. What Jesus was modeling when he came in that day was true humility. It's coming in the boldness of God, who God says you are and not backing down from it, but it's also with the gentleness of not overstaying yourself either and coming in love. If something happens, we can then rest in the fact that, yes, I have not lived a perfect life. That is very true. I have not lived a perfect life. And I don't deserve anything. But I am loved. I am accepted. And I'm made whole in him. And I'm going to live in the middle at humility. And I'm going to be red hot for Jesus. If we really accept that Jesus saved us without a show of strength, but of humility to the point of, per, of the perception of weakness then Jesus will recreate himself in us and we will live with boldness and gentleness and true humility. Church, let's reflect Jesus well. Let's submit to his well. Let's serve him with complete abandon, our humble king, full of boldness with a healthy mix of gentle, right? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up and Caitlin's gonna come up as well. But church... This is, this is a little bit of a different Palm Sunday message, but Jesus is on the move in our community. Jesus is doing something great in this day, and I don't want to miss it because I'm lukewarm. I don't want to miss it because I'm cold. I want Jesus to light a fire inside of me so I can be red hot with every single ember of fire within me to be everything that God has put me on this earth to be and to do but also to show his love and show his character in everything that I do. And I believe that you guys are the same. And that Jesus is calling each one of us individually and collectively to reflect him well in everything we do. That's good. Can we stand, church? Thanks, Brad, for sharing that. Sometimes a challenging message is a message out of love, right? And today I feel like uh, I want to give an opportunity. I want to give an opportunity that if you're here today and you never asked Jesus to be your King of Kings, you've never asked him to be your Lord of Lords, you never asked him to forgive you, today is your day. Today is your day. Today is a day where you can have true life with Jesus, where you can experience him you can experience his love. So let's pray. Let's close our eyes. And if you're in this place today and you're hearing this message, I want to tell you that Jesus is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He's not a God of condemnation or of guilt. He says, come as you are. He's not a God that says, fix yourselves up and I'll see you tomorrow. He's thankful that you're here today. And Jesus wants to have a relationship with you 
not an on-offense relationship with you. So if you're in this room today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I don't want to make it weird for you, but church, Jesus is real and he is the King of Kings. And he came, he died for you on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took all of your sin, as Brad explained it, all those bad choices, all those mistakes, he took it to the cross and he left it in the grave. And he left it there and came back and the tomb was rolled away or the tomb was empty. The rock was rolled away. And he says, here I am, your king, but I love you and I have come for you. If you're here today, I wanna pray this prayer. I wanna lead you in this prayer. And it's just me having a conversation with you. That's how you ask Jesus into your life, is having a conversation with the King of Kings. Remember, he's in relationship with us. A conversation is that relationship. So all eyes closed. If you're in this place, and today you're going, this is nerve wracking and my heart is beating fast, but I am hearing this message and today I want to believe in Jesus where my life can be whole. And I don't care what people think because I want to believe that Jesus can make me whole today. I am going to confidently lift my hand. And when you lift your hand, that is you saying to Jesus, here I am. It's not for me to see you. It's not for the people around you to see you. It's you saying, here I am, Jesus. Here I am. And if that's you today, raise your hand. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer. Let's repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Where you took my mistakes and my sin and you buried it and you left it and you came alive so I can have a relationship with you. Today, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, my King of Kings, my friend. I believe in you and today I walk with you. I love you. If you said that prayer for the first time or even if you were walking on that fence, maybe you got on the fence a while ago and you like, I did ask Jesus years ago, but I chose to climb back on that fence because of these things. You know what? He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And today he's also saying, I love you. God, thank you so much that you are a good God that you died and rose again. And that is something that we will never stop saying, that you died and rose again, that you are the King of Kings. And we recognize that, we acknowledge that, we praise you for that. And Jesus, thank you. That's what we say. We say thank you. God, we thank you that you took my, my shame, that you took my guilt, that you took my mistakes, that you took my sin, and you took it, and you left it in the, in the grave, Jesus. You took it. You are a victorious God. Today, God, I say thank you. Church, let's say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have 
loved me so well that you have sacrificed for me that you walked that lonely walk with the cross on your back and you put the cross Jesus you laid on that cross you were hammered to that cross you were beaten on that cross because of me I did not deserve it but you came because you loved me you came because you saw something in me you came because you chose me Jesus we thank you we thank you Jesus that you have redeemed our lives and today Jesus we want to walk off that fence and we want to walk in line with you we want to have true life in you we don't want to be lukewarm we want to be red hot on fire for you Jesus show us how show us how show us where we've been lukewarm Jesus heat us up ignite us show us how we thank you Jesus we thank you and we honor your name we praise your name Jesus we commit to you we commit to you because the way that we live is not the way that you have designed us to live we have a purpose and we have an identity in you you have called us sons and daughters of royalty God we thank you we thank you that you built that bridge from hell Jesus, we thank you that we don't even have to touch that. We don't have to go near it. God, that we are and uh, we have redemption in you. God, we thank you. We thank you. So as we leave today, we're going to praise Jesus. We're going to sing his song. Church, I encourage you to seek his name. Praise him. But if there is areas where you're going, eh, that's a little bit lukewarm, we want to pray with you talk to the people next to you have them pray with you we're here together let's lift each other up before we leave but let's let's praise god's name together